Hello, this is Maurice Harker. For almost 20 years, we've been building a team of hundreds of clinicians, coaches, mentors, and people just like you who have discovered and love to teach life-changing principles. Our coaches have made a special investment to make sure you can hear these messages. You will hear stories of triumphant healing from specialists and people having a real life just like you. We hope to increase your awareness that you are not alone, and there are so many others who are enlisted in this work to train and heal the whole family. You will find these principles are an amazing synergy of the most accurate, cutting-edge science with familiar gospel principles. We are passionate eternal warriors, and we hope you will join us. All right, friends, people, I am constantly looking for a way to make your life easier and to provide you with what you need. And tonight, I'm hoping to provide you with one of the most common requests that we've had since then, which is, what can we do on a pre-therapeutic level to empower our people with some tools and some skills for self-mastery to get them as far as we can before they need to see a professional therapist? As we were preparing for this, we thought there's a big population of people who've been downloading the Like Dragons Did They Fight book that have been asking for the same thing. We, are, we have learned that people really want to learn stuff before they have to pay for therapy. Who knew that people would want to save money, all right? So if I do this correctly, I'm going to lose thousands of dollars, okay? Because you're going to have the ability to do things to serve yourself, your family, and your followers in ways that you couldn't do it before. We have a lot of people here. We have over 100 people who registered to attend this meeting, but we also want to invite you to ask questions, to get clarification on things. I've written up a reference document. Ruben, if you could put that in the, in the chat. So those of you who have electronic devices, you can totally cheat off of this. Look at it. I'm going to be walking down through it. Ruben's going to be watching the chat. So if you have a question, or you can either push the little button that raises your hand, or you can type in a chat. And All right. We're calling this Self Mastery 101. Welcome to the basic level of the training. For those of you who've been through some of our advanced trainings, you're going to say things like, I've already heard this before. I'm hoping to give you a few other basics and some things so that you can go, oh, this is new. I like this. I can use this. Okay. First thing I want to go over is what goes wrong when human beings cross the line with self-mastery. There is something that goes wrong in the human brain. Earlier today, I met with a client for the first time who has a background in computers. I have a very small background in computers, so I only know a little bit about them. And as I've looked at the difference between computers and human brains, one of my biggest frustrations is that when you work with a computer and you program it to do something, it does what you tell the computer to do. Isn't that lovely? Wouldn't it be nice if you could program your brain and it did what you told it to do? For instance, you program your brain and you say, every day this week, I'm going to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and go work out of the gym every day. You just program it in there. And when the alarm clock goes off at 545, you automatically pop out of bed. You are automatically in the mood to go to the gym. You automatically put your clothes on and you go to the gym and you work out as planned. 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay. Some of you now, this only applies to fathers because this never applies to mothers. When my child disobeys or when my child is not being cooperative, I'm going to be pleasant and uplifting and lovely. I'm just going to be wonderful with them. And I just push a button and the child says, no, I don't want to put my dishes in the dishwasher. And you respond with this extremely not angry and not impatient response because you programmed it and you do exactly what you told yourself to do. Wouldn't it be awesome if we always did exactly what we told ourselves to do? Now, what I thought when I first entered this profession is there are those of us who just kind of crossed the line with our value system. And then there's those other people, those sinners, you know, those people who use pornography, those people who beat their children, those people who rob banks. I'm so lucky I'm not like them. Okay, no raising of hands right now, but I have some scary news for you. As I've studied human behavior, no matter how big the misbehavior is, your brain follows the exact same pattern as a pornography addict brain. Isn't that great news? Yay. Now, one of the reasons I want to share that with you is one of the greatest ways you can be a resource to other people is to see how your process is the same and then walk the journey with them instead of thinking of them as someone who's different from you. Even bishops. I know bishops. People think you don't sin. I know everyone thinks that the bishop's perfect. And the worst thing that can happen in a bishop's life is that people find out what's really going on. It's not very fun, but it is what it is. Let's talk for a second about what goes wrong in the brain when you don't behave according to your value system. We use a term called lost battles. We'll get to in a few minutes why we call it that. For those of you who are just learning this information, there are two parts of your brain that are involved in behavior when it comes to values-based behavior. You have your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is a extremely advanced developed structure in your mind. Some cultures that put the red dot on their forehead to symbolize the location of their spirit to symbolize this is where the part of your brain that does your higher thinking, your Christ-like thinking, your empathetic thinking, your vision for the future thinking, all of the things that are above and beyond what animals can do. This is where we choose our values. The other part of your brain involved in human behavior is your middle brain or your animal brain. The midbrain or animal brain is very much animal-like and it very much pays attention to base level cravings. I want food, I want food now. I need to use the bathroom, I am cold, I want sex. All of these very basic animal stinks, I'm afraid, therefore I hit you. There's lots of drive in the animal brain and it can often have an impact on human behavior. So we're gonna be talking a little bit about those two parts of the brain. Now, along with two parts of the brain, there are two outside voices that influence self-mastery. We talk a great deal in our spiritual background with the Holy Ghost. We hope that our loved ones and ourselves for that matter, it's been very interesting for me as a therapist with adult people, I find just as many adults who aren't sure when they're hearing the Holy Ghost as I do with youth. I have been saddened 
to find out that there are many adults who aren't sure if they're experiencing inspiration, they aren't sure if they're experiencing promptings, and they haven't learned how to discern that voice. We have been warned, even recently, as you get to know me, you'll find out I've done a lot of study of general conference talks, and I'm grateful that the technological people of the church have been providing us with audios of conference talks for at least 50 years, all the way back to 1970. And it's quite interesting. If you listen to conference talks from the early 70s, you will find plenty of references to Satan and his work he does to influence human psychology. This has never stopped. And even in the last two years, President Nielsen has been very straightforward about discussing Satan's attempts to influence human psychology. And it's very important that you pay close attention to it so you know the voices in your mind. In the Like Dragons Did They Fight book, but when you think about your method for teaching other people about the different voices, you know that one of the voices is intrusive, one of them is compulsive, invasive, disruptive. The other voice is nurturing, encouraging, edifying, inspiring. I would like to give you the first tool that I want you to have for today's conversation. We have found when working with loved ones who are wanting to gain the basics of self-mastery, discerning the voices that come into their minds is one of the first tools that they need to acquire. So here's a simple way to train in spiritual discernment. Draw a line down a piece of paper. On the left-hand side or one of the sides, put Holy Ghost. And on the other side, put your version of how you feel comfortable referring to Satan. We have a lot of Star Wars enthusiasts who put the dark side. Some people put minions. Some people put the mean people. One author refers to them as the dot people. Okay, some people are scared to use the term Satan, but we cannot pretend he doesn't do his work. And then as an exercise, just make statements or phrases and have your audience or yourself pick which side of the piece of paper it goes on. This is a very interesting process to use by yourself. When you're sitting there, just dial up the last four or five hours of thoughts inside of your mind and try to pick which side of the piece of paper they go on. I'm going to do a little vulnerability here and reveal to you a little bit about what I experience. I can be sitting there minding my own business, and then a thought will pop into my head that says, when you go to that meeting tonight, there are people there who are going to think you're stupid. How many of you think we should put that on the Holy Ghost side? Was the Holy Ghost saying, when you do your meeting tonight, there are people there who are going to think you're stupid? Or was that coming from the dark side? How about the phrase, even if you are stupid, you might actually help somebody? Okay. Now, the Holy Ghost is, has a sense of humor with me, and he doesn't mind being a little bit playful. But that statement is encouraging for me. That statement is one that gives me a desire to do a better job, that gives me a desire to become more of a positive influence on people. If you are here tonight with the intent to serve other people, your family, your loved ones, your followers, please do this exercise by yourself first 
so that when you do it with somebody else, you actually are relatable to them. Because if they think you never have thoughts that come from Satan, they're going to think that you are in two separate categories. They're going to think you're not one of them. So please, if uh, you hope to serve others, or if you hope to serve yourself, start getting familiar with the discernment tool and get familiar with the different voices that are coming through in your mind. There's some really difficult ones like you're bored. If you hear the phrase, you're bored in your head, does that go on the Holy Ghost side? Does the Holy Ghost say you're bored? Or does the dark side say you're bored? If you can't tell already, that's a trick statement. Because both the Holy Ghost and Satan can use the exact same phrase. If it's the Holy Ghost that says you're bored, it'll come in the form of a warning that says you're bored and you probably should find something useful to do. If Satan says you're bored, he says you're bored and you probably should find something entertaining to do. Okay, but they keep the second half of the, of the statement very quiet. Let's move on. To increase the chances of us behaving contrary to our value system, the dark side has to get us to move from our frontal lobe into our midbrain. If you're functioning from your frontal lobe, you're going to behave according to your value system. If you're experiencing charity, if you're experiencing patience, if you're experiencing compassion and empathy, you are highly unlikely to slip into a behavior that contradicts your value system. If you're feeling more animal-like, aggressive, agitated, hungry, thirsty, any of those strong emotions, afraid, frustrated, then you're more likely to misbehave. We use something called the chemical scale to explain how this works. It has been our experience as scientists that they're a modern, elaborate, complex psychological version of being poisoned by degrees. This experience is best understood working backwards and relating it to something you have personally experienced. So before we walk through this in detail, if you would please put down on your piece of paper a behavior you have personally where you do something against your value system or you don't follow through on something that is within your value system. So let me give you a couple examples of that. If you commit to going to the gym, but you don't, that would be called a lost battle. That's a crash. That's a 10. That would be a lost battle. If you commit to a certain eating pattern and you break that value system, that would be a crash. So please, if you want to be relatable or teach, if you want to be able to teach this to somebody else, put your lost battle at the bottom of this and think more about yourself during this one-on-one -on -one class than you do about the other people. On your piece of paper, go ahead and draw a quarter circle like this where so you can reference it. And I want you to check in with yourself to see how this is familiar. If you're a normal human being, each one of these experiences will be familiar to you. Between five and 10, we don't talk much about it. Before the crash, there's a phase of a brainlessness where you're not thinking very clearly. You're not thinking about what's going on in your head. You're not thinking about what's gonna happen next. You hear all about it when you're trying to talk to a loved one. 
didn't you think about the consequences? Didn't you think about what would happen next? What was going on in your mind? When you're between five and 10, there is nothing going on in the mind. It is very blank. And the processes that are going on are about as sophisticated as an animal brain. So you need to understand if you're asking someone questions about what's going on in their mind after they pass level five, you're not going to find anything useful in there. There's no point in having a conversation about it. Okay. You're just going to drive everyone nuts trying to figure out what's going on there. Level five is very common for all of us. Level five is the give up moment. It's when you stop fighting it. Now think about, let's just use a familiar one. I want to go exercise at the gym. If you end up not going to the gym, it's not that you decide not to go. You just stop trying to go. We call it breaker switching because you just kind of shut your brain off and you don't make any decision at all. This is why when you're talking to someone who has a pattern, a frequent pattern of misbehavior, and if you say to them, why did you choose to behave against your value system? They're often confused because they didn't actually choose it. All they did was shut their brain off and drift into the misbehavior. It's the same process. You know, when you ask a father, why did you choose to yell at your children? He'll never say, I chose to yell at my children because there was no decision there. He just stopped fighting it. Okay. He just stopped fighting it and it happened all by itself. That's level five. You know, you've hit level five when your brain shuts off and you just fall into misbehavior. For all of us, before we hit level five, there is a level four. We have lots of different names for level four, but the name I'm gonna use for it tonight is the irrational conversation. And I promise you, if you could get a recording of the conversation in your brain during level four, it would sound like two drunks trying to decide who's gonna drive home. Imagine two drunks trying to decide who's gonna drive home. I don't know, man. I think I should drive. I'm less drunker than you are. No, no, I think I'm less drunker than you are. I've got an idea. How about we take turns driving and the first one to hit a pole, we know that was the wrong person to drive. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. Let's try that. Listen to your brain sometime that morning you were planning to go to the gym or that morning you were planning not to yell at your children go, I don't know, man. I think this time I need to yell at the children. Children always behave better when you yell at them. Yes, they do. My father yelled at me when I was a child and I'm a better person for it. Yes, you are. Okay. I think it's a good idea that we yell at children. Okay, let's do that. It's really fascinating. It's one of the advantages to being a therapist. You get to actually hear people walk through those conversations. And when they describe it, they're rather embarrassed. They're like, that sounds really dumb, doesn't it? I say, no, it's just irrational. We don't call it, we just call it irrational. Just so you know, all of us go through that. Level three, you know, it's nice to know we don't always have bad ideas. Isn't it nice to know that we often have good ideas? Isn't it nice to know that we often make uh, decisions and make plans that are actually good? Well, as you get to know Satan, you find out at some point, somebody has to suggest that we do it wrong. Okay, back to those of you who love the idea of exercising. 
You go to bed at night, you're committed to it. You wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off. You start to get moving and then somebody suggests, you know, you could just go back to sleep and skip the gym today. Now that's not satanic, right? That's a friend. You're so tired. You've had a long day. I'm your buddy. So I'm, I'm not tempting you to stay in bed. I'm suggesting you stay in bed. See, that's not a temptation, right? You know, and when a father is suggested that he might raise his voice, I wasn't tempted to raise my voice. I just had an invitation in my head say, it could be a good idea to use a stronger voice tone to make sure your kids are ready for church on time. It's a good idea to do that. Now, when the idea of, hey, we don't, we're no need to, we don't need to check out any pornography, let's just check out that one website that doesn't really have pornography in it. It just has something that's fun to look at it. All of these things, it's the same process in the brain. This is why it's so important that you don't only think about other people. You've got to think about yourself. Now, what we didn't realize when we first started studying this as scientists is there's two more phases before the temptation even occurs. When I first started studying this, we thought you're just minding your own business and all of a sudden temptation comes. You're just minding your own business and all of a sudden the suggestion comes. We have learned that there is a phase of satanic involvement that we call torment. Please think back inside of your mind, those building emotions before the idea to misbehave comes. I'm going to talk from personal experience. Being a father, before I had children, I was a very patient person. Before I had children, I was a very calm person. I had no idea how much emotion could surface with children. I like to think that my son was a very dynamically energizing person who brought out some really amazing things in me, and many of them were not positive. I remember hearing phrases in my head that were very tormenting. If you don't put this boy in his place, he's going to ruin his life. If you let him keep talking, he's going to make everything worse. Just phrases that kept building and building the strong negative energy in me. Trying to wake up to go to the gym in the morning. You're so tired. You've never been so tired in your entire life. There is no one on this planet who's ever been more tired than you are now. Phrases that are designed to build emotion. People who are led into pornography, there's a whole lot of different places that their brains walk through when it comes to torment. With the young men, with the single people, you're not going to have a chance for a sexual experience for a very long time. You're going to be denied it. You're going to miss out on a lot of things. You're going to have to go without it's going to really torture your brain, okay? Think of your area of struggle and think back to the torment you feel. Here's one for moms. If you don't intervene with that child right now, he's going to hell. He's going to go off the deep end. You need to keep him from going off the deep end. You got to stop him and you got to stop him now or else you're a bad mom and you're in trouble and then you're going to go to hell or at least you're going to be embarrassed in front of your friends. Please be familiar with the torment. It's really cruel. That's why it's called torment. And then level one, the subtle invasion. As I've interviewed people, I've discovered that level one is hardly ever acknowledged 
as a satanic attack because it seems so common and so subtle. If you have been in a state of mind where you're really feeling sharp and clear-headed, and then later on you're feeling what people often call being off, I'm not having strong feelings. I'm just a little bit off. I'm just a little bit distracted. I'm just a little bit tired. I'm just a little agitated. I'm just a little frustrated. I'm just a little bit overwhelmed. Most of us don't think of those as satanic attacks. They just seem like normal human emotions. And while I'm not comfortable saying they're not normal, they're definitely not what we would prefer to feel. They're definitely not something we like feeling, but they're very common. The problem is we have to go through that to get to level two and then to get to level three, four, and five. And so to initiate the battle at level one, to initiate the battle at level two, we often don't start fighting it at level one because it doesn't seem like there needs to be a fight. It's like the Lamanites are not attacking us. They're just having a picnic just outside the city. Okay. What do you do when Lamanites are only having a picnic just outside the city? Do you start throwing spears and rocks at them yet? Well, we have to wait till they're actually attacking us. That's a really tough situation to be in when the demons are not actually attacking me yet. They're just saying things like, you know, your wife is hard to talk to sometimes. It's hard to interact with her in a way that's constructive. She's distracted again and isn't giving you attention. All of these massaging, I thought of putting on level one, the massage, the satanic massage, because when you really get to know him, it feels like he's massaging into your brain and kind of oozing in there. And it's really hard to tell. You're going to hear a phrase later on, the subtle satanic psychological stratagem. This guy's been working for 7,000 years to get in your head. I'm going to now teach you what to do about all this and how to win these battles. But it is very important as you're working with someone, if they've had lost battles and they're behaving contrary to the value system, you can take this chart, draw it out, draw all seven, and try to identify where they were at down the scale. To see, I'm at a level one, I'm at a level two, I'm at a level three. And interestingly, if they can just give themselves a number, the urgency that they feel to fight it off becomes stronger. When they know what number they're at, the higher the number, there's an automatic intense response. Okay, so I'm hoping you have two tools now to work with. One is the discernment tool of who's talking in your head. And there's a story called the radio trick in the Like Dragons Did They Fight book that'll give you way more detail on how that works. And the, the chemical scale. And you're going to hear about the Lamanites Nephites when the Lamanites have learned how to mess with the brain chemistry of the Nephites. And that's an important story for you to be, for you to be familiar with as well. How to win. Success in winning self-mastery battles is not as simple as just being motivated. When I talk to parents and church leaders, one of the biggest mistakes they make is they assume it's a motivation problem. They assume I just need to get them motivated and keep them motivated. Think of when you're not good at something and you keep failing at it. It's really hard to stay motivated if you don't know how to do it. I don't know how to fix cars. So I'm very unmotivated to work on my car because I don't know how to fix it. So you can motivate me all you want with rewards and punishments. And I'm still not going to be able to invest what it takes to fix the car because I don't know how. Consider advanced competitive sports. 
Now that we understand that we are in a battle with an intelligent opponent, and if you haven't noticed, almost half of the Book of Mormon is war chapters. And the Book of Mormon was written for our day. We need to be prepared for modern day psychological warfare. And so the closest thing we see to this on a regular basis is competitive sports. You have an intelligent opponent that wants you to lose. That's the same thing as what happens in the battle. What is needed to win against an intelligent, skilled opponent who is determined? You need accuracy and technique, speed in your response, strength and ferocity, endurance and fortitude, the mindset or attitude they often call being in the zone, and divine connection. Imagine if the sons of Helaman in the Book of Mormon went into battle not having one of these. Imagine if the sons of Helaman were not accurate with their techniques. Imagine if they did not have speed in their responses. Imagine if they didn't have enough strength and ferocity. And what if they burned out and didn't have enough endurance? If they weren't in zone and they did not understand how to use divine connection. Here's the good news. Bishops, you should be very familiar with this. Parents, you should be somewhat familiar, some of you more than others. I had been working on some tools and strategies for 20 years, and I was very pleased with those tools and strategies. And then this guy, President Nielsen, steps in, and in one event, he completely outdid me with his training techniques. 18 months ago, as a psychology scientist, I've taken that booklet and reverse engineered it and studied it for the deep psychological science behind it. And let me tell you, in the 30 years I've been studying psychology, I've never found something as amazing as the very simple system that President Nielsen has given us. The good news is you do not have to go hunting for something out there in all the books and tapes and stuff. If you can learn how to use this tool correctly. Now, when I first started looking at this, I called the DPAR. It's my fancy little anacronym for the four steps that President Nielsen walks us through. If you don't know where this is at, in your gospel library, go down to the third row and where it says audiences, click audiences, then click youth and children, and then click the pattern for growth section, okay? The children or youth development. It's right inside your gospel library. It's got nice bright orange and blue colors. When I first started studying it, I thought it was the second page that had the circle on it with the four colors, intellectual, spiritual, physical, social. I thought that's where the secret was. After studying it carefully, I learned that's just a reference for four categories. It's the next page that is the game changer. It's the next section that is what really makes the difference. Discover, plan, act, reflect. Please do not underestimate the power of those four words. After 30 years of research, those are absolutely phenomenal steps. One of the key elements though, is if you're gonna sit down with yourself first, and then with a loved one, start at the bottom and reflect. Draw the chemical scale out and reflect on what went wrong for you. So if you didn't get to the gym, if you yelled at the child, 
If you crossed a line with your honesty, if you crossed a line with your sexual self-mastery, if you crossed a line with your respect for another person, if you crossed your line, walk down the chemical scale and get familiar with what went wrong and where it went wrong. Here's where I was in the zone. Here's where my head was sharp. Here's where I was solid. And then I became off at this point. I was off in the morning. I was off in the afternoon. I was off at this time. The level two started to build up when my strong emotions started to get really agitated in this phase. Then the idea to handle it wrong came. The idea to handle it wrong came at 3.35 in the afternoon. The irrational conversation lasted 30 seconds or three hours. And then I finally just said, I don't care anymore. I don't want to fight this anymore. I'm just going to let myself crash. So start by reflecting. Then discover where should I have turned on the warrior chemistry? Now, I want to back up for a second about what warrior chemistry is. There's a lot of science behind this, and there's a lot of meaning behind it. But to truly understand it, there is a state of mind that God has blessed us with the ability to achieve that makes us almost superhuman. I am convinced that when David went up against Goliath, David was in the zone. I am convinced that when Nephi had his brothers doing all sorts of unpleasant things with him, he was able to go into the zone and handle those situations greatly. When Gordon B. Hinckley would stand in front of us, he definitely knows how to get into the zone. All of the prophets and our modern-day prophet, Russell Nilsson, that guy walks in the zone. I don't know if he lives there all day, every day, but when that guy talks, do you remember that recent video he put out where it's just got his head, there's nothing else in the video, and he's just talking? It's only, what, like two minutes or less long, and he just talks, and then he stops, and then he talks, and he stops, and you're like, holy cow, this guy is radiating some of the most amazing energy. He's in the zone. Can we understand, can we acknowledge that Satan does not want us in the zone? There's different versions of it where ain't nobody going to stop me from loving this child. There's this amazing combination of dedication, commitment, and love all mixed together. And so bishops, I'm confident that you know what it feels like to be in the zone. And then sometimes you're just a guy. I'm very familiar with, I'm just the guy around the house. I'm just the guy taking out the garbage. I'm just the guy mowing my yard. Okay. I'm not doing anything amazing, but sometimes we are in the zone. So during the discover phase, it's when you discover the ingredients for that. Like what needs to be present for me to get in the zone? Especially in certain circumstances with me, with my son, I had to start daydreaming. Like I would have to do a lot of work to stay in the zone while he's doing his teenager thing. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. I could try this. I could try that. I was pondering this psychological application of gospel principles while reading Genesis chapter one. When we read this, it's a very important and very interesting story, especially when you remember that it is walked through very slowly in a temple ceremony, the process of the creation starts with a phrase, here lies matter unorganized. When you enter the discovery phase of any type of self-mastery, you're going to start with a lot of disorganized 
ideas. Here lies ideas disorganized. I got an idea from this book over here. I got an idea from that conference talk over there. I got an idea from my mother. I got an idea from my father-in-law. I got an idea from my neighbor. I got an idea from a little a teenager in one of my classes. Discover is when you start to gather the ideas. When you move ideas from discover to plan to the point where they reach action, you are doing one of the most God-like activities that we mortals can do. God took matter unorganized and he worked it through a plan until it became something that was solid we could hold on to that was tangible. When you take ideas, what can I do to control my anger more? What can I do to get to the gym better? What can I do? All these ideas that are disorganized and you squeeze them through a plan and you are dedicated to it. When you discover passion projects, when you discover warrior chemistry and you move it through the sharpening discernment tools, when you predict your opponent's moves and you go, okay, here's what Satan's going to try to do to keep me from going to the gym. Here's what Satan's going to say to me to try to get me to lose my temper. Here's what Satan's going to say to me after school tomorrow to try to get me to seriously consider some pornography. When you run it through all those plans and you set it up in a row like dominoes so that you're ready for it. I'm going to do this, 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 then this. I'm going to do this, 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 then this. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Then Satan's going to try this. So I'm going to respond with this, this, and this. And then he's going to try this, then this, and this. And you keep putting it in a row like dominoes. And you review it again and again and again. You are more likely to act according to the plan that you had. And you're going to have to do it like a musician, like an athlete. A musician will do it again and again and again and again. An athlete again and again and again and again until the entire process of when it's time to get up in the morning to go to the gym. I have already played the entire psychological process in my head through 20 times before I even fell asleep. 20 times I knew exactly what Satan was going to say, and I knew exactly what I was going to say, and I know what he's going to say and what I'm going to say until I win, and I find myself in the gym, and I find myself where I want to be. Musicians do the same thing. Anyone of you have ever been a musician? There's the phase where you go through to try to get the fingerings down. I was a violinist, and you get better at it, and you get better at it, and you get better at it until you start to create music. You start to Make your violin sing. I remember my orchestra teacher saying, Marie, stop playing the music and make your violin sing. And I'm all, violins don't sing. She goes, make it sing. And I'm all, how do you make a violin sing? And she pushed me and she pushed me. You have to know your steps to get it to produce the results that you want. So if you want to teach self-mastery to others, you have to practice it yourself. And so you act upon it and then you reflect, you review it. One of my least pleasant experiences as I learned how to play a musical instrument was when the teacher thought it was a good idea to record it and make me listen to the recording of my own music. Ah, okay, that is not fun. One of the most amazing things to do as a therapist, as a marriage therapist, is to have couples record their interactions on audio or video and then have them watch themselves, not the other person, watch themselves 
and I've got people puking. They're like, ah, I can't watch this anymore. I look horrible. I totally handled that wrong. Well, then don't come to me and tell me how your spouse is doing it wrong. As long as there's a beam in your eye, we're not going to talk about the moat in the other person's eye. So if you hope to help yourself and others, start by pulling a piece of paper out and write, discover, plan, act, and reflect. Start at the bottom, draw a quarter circle, reflect upon their pattern of lost battles before. Go back up to the top and start discovering ideas and methods and strategies for conquering it. Create a plan, act upon the plan, reflect upon the success and do it again and again and again and again. Do all four steps again and again and again. When we're training couples to work on their marriages, when we're training individuals to do addiction recovery, we want them doing a DPAR every day. Every day you should do a DPAR. Even if it's just taking yesterday's DPAR and reviewing it, refining it, reviewing and refining, review and refine, review and refine, and then repeat over and over again. As you're working to use these, if measurable improvement is not seen after three attempts, if you've tried really hard yourself on your own stuff, if you've worked really hard with somebody else, it's time to consult a professional, okay? You're gonna want to consult a professional if you haven't been able to get momentum. Are there any other comments or questions that I can address while we're here? Maurice, the question is, so if my son understands the chemical scale, is it good to ask what number are you at right now? Yes, but you want to ask it with a different tone than you might be used to asking it with. When we have parents who are working with their youth or bishops even working with youth or adults, you want to ask the question with curiosity and fascination, not with a tone of accountability. The way to do it wrong is to say, okay, well, what level are you at? Like, okay, you need to tell me now what level you're at. Tell me what chemical level you're at. If you use a challenging or confrontational tone, that does not help, right? Usually that actually adds to the animal self-survival chemicals and it pushes them down the chemical level. If you ask with fascination or curiosity so that they can self-reflect, so one of the best ways to do it is as you're leaving the room, the question might sound something like, hey, as I'm walking away, can you answer for yourself what chemical level you're at? And then just walk away and let them self-reflect on it. If we want long-term success, we want them to become familiar through pondering the question, not from fighting about the question. And you got to leave some room for them to get it wrong a little bit. Let them just think about it. It's better for them to ponder it for 10, 20 minutes than it is for you to get the answer out of them and to hold them to it. So just say, hey, you told me about the chemical scale the other day. I recently learned about the chemical scale just so I can learn and understand it. Can you walk me through what level you're at right now and what that would mean? Would you mind sharing with me what level you're at now and and what you would do about that, you really wanna turn over the power of the process to them if you want them to win long-term. Long Satan is Go working ahead. so hard on our youth with pornography and also with gender and sexual identity confusion. It seems like it's almost the cool thing now to be queer in some way, gay, lesbian, bi, bi pansexual, et cetera. How can we as parents help combat this when it's all around them as being normal? 
All right, I'm very grateful that this question has been put on the table because yes, we are seeing a great deal of it. As a clinician and someone who works hard to be spiritually led through these things, I have gained a great deal of confidence in what we've been taught about the spirits of the youth of this final generation and how strong they are. The homing device inside of their brains is phenomenal. A lot of my confidence has come because I see what they're like 10 years after they're teenagers. I've met many adults who are phenomenal as adults who are pretty sketchy in their teen years and walked some curious paths, no names mentioned, including my own, where we did some exploration that might have been disconcerting to our parents. And it wasn't our parents that brought us back around. It's not my mom. It's not my dad who got me to think straight. It was the homing device inside of me that was a combination of my own spirit having a gravitational pull towards God's spirit. Now, the second element that I invite you to consider as you're working with youth who are exploring sexual dynamics the human body and the accompanying biochemistry is extremely powerful. It will create a secondary homing device. What we're learning is those who are curious and fascinated with their gender identity grow through it. And it's not something to panic about. So what we've been doing that seems to be producing really good results is approaching their gender identity exploration similar to what you and I might have gone through when we were considering whether we wanted to become plumbers or dentists or farmers or school teachers. And we're just trying to decide what we want to be when we grow up. And if you try to fight against their identity formation phase, you're not, all you're going to do is create some resistance. One of the reasons they fight so hard for this open-minded approach to sexual identity is because it's a common thing for adolescents to experience psychological rejection. And many of their friends experience even more rejection than they experience. And they don't want to be one more person that rejects them. So they're often trying to be relatable. So to be relatable, they often join in the exploration. As we've interviewed these people, those who I work with who actually have the type of same gender attraction that is discussed in the church's website, it is true that some people have legitimate same-sex attraction. But what is true about them is they don't talk about it much. They don't talk about it much. They don't have, it's not an issue for them. They don't do tons of exploration it's just something that just kind of becomes noticeable. So <clears throat> in the same way that you would say, what are the pros and cons of being a farmer? What do you like about it? What do you think is a bad idea about it? What do you like about becoming a lawyer? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? I promise you, an exploration is not the same as an encouragement. If you explore the pros and cons of being pansexual, if you explore the pros and cons of being gender fluid, 
all those fun phrases they're doing nowadays, just say, what are the pros and cons of that from your perspective? What is to be gained? What is to be lost if you pursue a lifestyle like that? What you're doing if you don't approach this with a panic and you do approach it with confidence in their soul, confidence in their spirit, confidence in the light of Christ, just let it play through without panicking. Perfect love casteth out fear. Don't be afraid that such an exploration is going to force your child into a life that they're going to regret. Most of us have behaviors in our developmental years that we're embarrassed about, that we kind of regret, except the fact that we have the atonement, so we, we don't carry it around with us all the time. And we have the privilege of being able to let go of some of those unfortunate things. So use your confidence in the atonement to serve this generation of youth too. Don't panic. Just be encouraging and exploring. Their brains will figure it out. Their frontal lobe developing and they'll discover that what, were the, what was I thinking? I mean, how many of us were going, what was I thinking back in those days? And now we are wiser. So I have two questions for you. One of them is, okay. are there like some resources that you would suggest when we're dealing with trying to have limits and boundaries with someone who's dealing with an addiction? I'm finding it's, it's difficult to interact and understand what boundaries and limits to set. Are there any books or articles that you'd recommend? My strongest recommendation is to attend Karen Broadhead's parenting class. Okay. Um, or, or to access it because you're going to have lots of questions. Yeah, the thing you have to be careful with the most when it comes to parenting is if your sentences accidentally start with the phrase, how do we keep them from doing this? And how do we make sure they do that? Okay. okay. If you have your thought process includes how do I keep them and how do I make sure you're already walking yourself off the deep end? Because that completely goes against God's plan to teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it won't help them anyway. Anything you keep them from doing or make them do, make sure they do, is not going to be what strengthens their brain long term. I know it's not very fun to experience now, but that doesn't mean you just let them. That's why I want you to attend Karen's class. By the way, it's free. Karen's classes are free for parents. Okay. Okay. Is Karen, that you, what is that called? Yeah. It's 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 the the mom power class is for moms for their self mastery. The mothers who know class is on how to handle things with your children. Oh. Okay. 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 Awesome. And yeah, it's you're 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 going to be in a psychological tailspin because the the reason this becomes challenging. Remember how much we honor the youth, the young men who were part of the creation of the Declaration of Independence and that whole phase of history where they fought against England, a crazy war that was mathematically impossible. I mean, nowadays, when a youth has a significant dedication to not follow authority figures, that's the same thing we celebrate about the people who wrote the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> These youth of the last generation have extremely powerful minds. And mm-hmm. if your parenting plan involves stopping them from using their powerful minds, they will run over you forever. Yeah. And you will live an entire life of frustration. And so 
it, it all changes when that kicks in. We call it the individuation phase. Up until somewhere between 13 and 15, sometimes as young as 11 years old, as soon as their brain kicks into the phase of, I will now fight to the death for my position, no matter what type of parenting techniques my parents use, you have to change the strategy. And Karen's uh, teaching is the best because it's ongoing. It's not just a short answer. She can do ongoing for weeks and weeks of training in that area. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Can I ask one more question as well? Yes, please. Go, Kate. Um, what what also would be your advice? We have a child in the in the you know sons of Helaman, uh-huh. and you know this child does not want us involved in the process in any way, and so we've just. Okay. We, we, you know, are stepping back and like, okay, you know, maybe we'll ask questions occasionally, but we just drop it if it's, you know, but I don't know if you have any advice as far as that goes. Yeah, it takes a little bit of work to convince the child that you're serious about this, this mentality change on that, because all of their life, they've been talking to you in forms of being accountable to you. And you've always been the teacher. If you can flip the relationship on this process, and have them teach you the process. And you say things, and it's really easy for moms. The phrase that moms can say, start with every time is, you know what, I've never been a teenage boy. Can you talk me through the process that is supposed to be used to gain mastery over this stuff? When you ask, now the kid's gonna go, this is a trick, I know this is a trick, you're setting me up. You're, you're, you've got a lecture in your back pocket you're ready to hit me with because the scary thing is when they teach it to you wrong, okay? <laughs> and you're like, ah, but you know, moms are so patient when a kid gets on the piano for the first time and he starts plunking keys and you want to pull your hair out because it's like the most horrible sound in the world. I, when I started playing the violin, my brothers uh, wanted to kill me and, and they ran. I had no idea how many times they went to my mom and said, make him stop, make him stop. It sounds like he's choking cats in his bedroom. And I'm all, this is awesome. I'm loving this. Okay. We don't panic when they get it wrong over and over and over again. But for some reason, we panic when they don't get sexual self-mastery right the first time. President Uchtdorf said very, something very important in the last conference. He was referring specifically to the pandemic. And he said a funny thing, but is really serious. He says, do we think God was surprised? Do we think God said, whoa, I didn't see that coming? No, that's ridiculous. Do we really think God is surprised when a teenage boy has a hard time controlling his sexuality? Yeah. Do we really think God says, whoa, didn't see that coming? (laughs) So let's remember that this God guy knew that sexual self-mastery was going to be hard at least as hard as learning to play the piano, at least as hard as learning to play tennis or football or basketball. So when the child approaches you and tells you something and you're like, and it sounds about as good as that first day on the piano and you're like, oh, ouch, that hurts my ears for you to explain self-mastery that way. Go, wow, that's great. So try to flip the relationship and let the young man become the specialist even though he's not the specialist and let him practice teaching. As we've heard from families where they can flip the dynamic like that, it is amazing what happens, especially if the kid actually teaches something you didn't know. Mm. That's when it's amazing. Like, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that's what you learned. 
So what did you guys learn in group today? You don't ask it like, what did you learn in group today? I'm checking your homework. You don't ask it like that. You say, I don't understand this stuff that you're learning. Can you explain to me what you learned in group today? I'd like to understand this self-mastery stuff better. Yeah. That's okay. when you're going to get good answers. Okay. Does that help? All right. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you so much. All right. Good evening. May you all rest well. And may we have an awesome day tomorrow. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. As you can see, we are very enlisted in what we have learned and hope to teach. If you have found today's message inspiring, please share this podcast with family and friends so others can enjoy and be edified along with us. Be sure to download the free book that holds all the core principles behind what we teach. This book is called Like Dragons Did They Fight. You will find a link for that free download at Like Dragons Free. And remember, you can find all the life-changing resources, programs, and trainings needed for you and your family at lifechangingservices.org.